Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast, where we tell the true stories of the vaccine injured that many don't want to hear. These are real people sharing real experiences, uncensored and unsanitized. Listen and learn with us as we tell the stories that have yet to be heard by those who've been discarded. No preaching, no propaganda, and no judgments, just the truth. Okay, here we are in the hotel uh, doing this interview uh, with, <laughs> we had a long conversation before this, so I got to take a little breath here, mm-hmm. but we're talking to Stephanie DeGarry. Stephanie, welcome to the Dearly, Dearly Discarded, Discarded Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Why they had to pick one like that, that I, I that's going to stumble on. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'm so excited to have you because, you know, this is an interesting thing for me because I'm kind of like a little bit of a fanboy. okay? I've been watching you and your daughter. Uh, for a while, and I know you don't believe that you're uh, some sort of a uh, inspiration, but you are. And I'm so excited to have you on this show with me. And and because I know there are a lot of people listening right now that aren't aware of Maddie's story, mm-hmm. um, I want to start at the top. Um, will you please talk to us about what's happened with your daughter uh, since her vaccination and and how that came about? So I'll skip all the details, like from the beginning of how she went into it. If okay. You yeah. That. But she was in the COVID, um, the Pfizer COVID vaccine trial for 12 to 15 year olds, and okay. it was at Cincinnati Children's. That would have been in December of. So December 30th, she received her first okay. dose, right. and she did do okay. She had the typical reaction. She did have a fever, mm-hmm. swelling. She didn't feel great. Um, and made it through that. So um, when she got the second dose, um, the first thing that she had said to me, so my husband took her to that appointment, I was working, so he took her, and um, she said, that hurt worse than the first one. I'm like, that's weird. But then Mm. I'm like, well, you know, if you tense up your muscle when you have a flu shot, they always say you tensed up your muscle because that happens to both of us. Um, I said, well, maybe you tensed up your muscle. Kind of dismissed it. It was my son's 16th birthday that day. Um, So we went home and um, like it was later in the day that she got the vaccine, like in the evening, like right before dinner. So we went home, celebrated his birthday. It was COVID, so he didn't get a party. It was literally (laughs) us. And then um, she went to bed. And then in the middle of the night, she came into my husband in my room and she said, something's wrong. I don't, I don't feel right. My body doesn't feel right. I like, I, I hurt everywhere. She's like, and you could tell she was scared, which was weird. Like, just that's not what she normally does. But and Maddie I mean, was 12 at the time. She was 12. Okay. So she doesn't typically sleep in our room. You know, right. or come in in the middle of the night, like your little kids do that. Usually, like when you're mm-hmm. older, you just deal with it. So she crawled into bed even more weird in between the two of us. So mm. king bed. So I'm like, okay, I was half awake. Woke up in the morning. She still didn't feel great. And we're like, you know, you don't need to go to school. Knowing that, you know, they may not feel great the next day. Sure. And I was like, you don't have to go. She doesn't like to have to make up work. She wants to get her work done when it's done mm-hmm. and not be behind. So she's like, I'm, I'm going to go and I'll, you know, if I don't feel good, I'll go. She's also a kid that doesn't like to go to the nurse. She just isn't. She's not one of the, like, there are kids, I work in a school, there are kids that go to the nurse 50 times a day, and there are kids that will wait until they vomit on the floor, um, because they won't tell you, and then 
those are the two types of kids. She's the one that would vomit on the floor and wait until it was too late. It's very common, you're one or the other. So when she, my husband works from home, um, remotely. So she walked in the door, barely made it through the door, dropped her bag and was, her body was like on fire. Her body, she had, she, she's, when she tells the story, it's much more impactful than me because she lived it through the day. And I want to kill her for not calling us, but I know who she is. That's just who she is. She would have pushed through and probably I'm the same way. So learned, yeah, I mean, you, you learn what you learn. Um, anyways, she had like, the way she described it, electrical shocks going up and down her spine. When you looked at her, like she could only lay on her, um, on her st like side almost. You, she couldn't lay on her back. Her fingers and toes, like all the tops of her fingers were white. And if you touched them, they like, they were like death. Same with her toes. She had, she like took off her shoes. We couldn't put them back on. Like they were on, like they hurt really bad. My husband, um, so the way it works with a trial is you call, so the app that you fill out, let me take a step back. The app that you fill out for a week after the trial, there, it's very constrained. It's like, did you have swelling in your arm? Did you have a fever? What was your fever amount? Like the temperature yeah. where you do a little selection thing. They have a thing to measure your arm for swelling, which she did have. But there's no like, it's all like the typical symptoms that they are telling you now. Take out the myocarditis, like the stuff that they were telling you in the beginning. Right. That's all you can say yes or no to, and it's mild, moderate, severe, did you go to the ER? Anything else? You're supposed to call. You don't email. Like, there's no documentation paper trail. No paper trail. You're supposed to call the trial line. So my husband immediately called. They give you a card. And um, they didn't give us an answer right away. They called us back. In between that, he called me. and I was working at school. And he said, Maddie's having some type of reaction to the vaccine. He's like, she's not doing good, but she's, I, like, my husband has, he's a medical background. So he, he's, he's like, her vitals are kind of okay, but like not to the point where I'm gonna call an ambulance. Um, and then I hear in the background going, mom, mom, my heart feels like it's being ripped out through my neck. And I'm like, at that point, like I'm a pretty calm person. I'm not a hypochondriac, you know what I mean? It's, so I was like, okay, she's having a reaction. It'll be okay, you know, maybe whatever. When she said that, I, I, I like, that I was like I left like I'm like I, I told the school I'm like I have to leave I didn't make arrangements I'm like I have to go home and that was later on obviously in the day got home by then they called back and they said we need you to take her to the ER one of the other severe things I should have mentioned is she was having severe pain near her appendix um, like lower abdomen appendix is on I always forget left or right that's where it was um, and so they're like, we want to see, you know, we want to do a scan to see if she is appendicitis. We're like, okay. Um, but they insisted that we go to Cincinnati Children's. They had said, because we're like, well, there's all these hospitals closer to us. That was the closest Children's. We've never had to take our kids to an ER. Like, this is, was all new to us. Right. So we're like, they're like, it's easier if you take her there. She'll get better treatment because the principal investigator works for Cincinnati Children's, so we took her to that ER, even though it's further. They did a renal profile, so very basic blood test. They mm -hmm. did a urine test. They did an ultrasound of her appendix, 
Um, they couldn't see the appendix, but didn't see anything showing an appendicitis. Right. The renal profile was not, like there were some a little bit high and low numbers, like not everything was normal, not crazy. She did have blood in her urine, which they never even mentioned to us. We didn't even know about it until we looked in my chart um, and went for the follow-up with our doctor. So they ignored the blood in the urine. That should have been a red flag from the beginning. And in that, that was the only time they noted the reaction to the vaccine. Now, at that point, we didn't know if she got it or not. Okay, you mean it's placebo or the actual vaccine? Right. right, okay. So we do have three, we had, my sec, first son did not get the second dose because he got COVID. My other son did get both doses. He got the placebo. We did not know at the time, but I'm like, she had a reaction the first time, like he's thinking, I, I got a better immune system, which I think he does because he never got COVID either. But yeah, we knew she got the vaccine. So after that, it was always, we don't know if she got the placebo or the actual vaccine. Um, so her symptoms progressed over time, they just kept getting worse. So one of the things she had was nausea. They did give her Zofran and they gave her, I forget, some type of pain reliever through the an IV and sent her home. So between then and April, she was in the ER nine times. She was admitted three times. First time for three days. The second time, which was when she had the MRI right before the data cutoff um, for the, the Pfizer trial. Um, she was in for a week and then the third time was when her like she was like literally we were afraid she was gonna die <laughs> she could not eat she could not walk she could do nothing and they kept we go to the ER and they send us home it's all psychiatric it's all anxiety if you cater to it then she's gonna get worse like don't give her a wheelchair don't you know, we, if we do any further testing it's going to make her that will make her think something's wrong with her and she'll get worse so we they made us feel like if we did not believe that we were going to make her worse somehow she survived through this and part of I, it i do she did not eat pretty much for almost three weeks like we were having to try to like we were giving her sugar and like water like literally it was like feeding a I don't know, like an animal, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but what I've learned now is fasting can actually help. One of her problems is she couldn't swallow. She was having reactions to every food. Mm -hmm. Her, every time something went into her esophagus, it, it was having a reaction. It got to the point she could not even swallow water because we kept trying to have her eat because that's what they told us to do. Um, so when she got admitted, the last time we we're like we are not coming to the we we need to be guaranteed she's going to be admitted and not to psychiatrics there's something physically wrong with her um so they promised us that we would and it still even was a big pain i haven't i don't even want to go into it her blood sugar was at 47 her heart she had tachycardia yes her heart was like all over the place um and they admitted her she ended up getting an ng tube then she was in inpatient rehab for a month and a half they thought she would be in there for two weeks with her functional neurologic disorder i saw kids in and out of there with functional what you know she she got basically kicked out because she didn't meet they gave her goals each week and she got to the point where she could walk with a walker but it's like not really 
she would her foot she would shake her leg would like turn out it, like she wasn't walking right. she could not let go she would fall right to the ground she goes mom i'm like i i can't i don't know what's happening she's like i'm like spinning i, I can't I, I can't do it and i i mean this girl is resilient like she tried so hard they were so demeaning even one of the, one of the pt had said if my baby can crawl then you can crawl Good like they just the things that they did to her so when she was kicked out like she got to the point where she could walk with the walker they convinced us that she needed because they didn't weren't able to even address the swallowing like they couldn't they made zero progress month and a half she had um speech therapy at like five days a week pt two um it was twice a day for monday through friday and then she'd have it once on saturday same thing with ot like that much intensive therapy plus um, occupational therapy. She did cog the cognitive CBT. She did that from the beginning until the end. No progress. The girl knew how to, like, she, she, she had the skills. Like she didn't, like some kids, I work in a school, some kids need to learn the skills. I, I teach them those skills. <laughs> she already had those skills. She had her way of doing it. Hers is like, if, if she just, like, she would sing, because that helps you breathe. Like, but if you tell her to breathe, it pisses her off. So <laughs> I'm just telling you, and I've learned that even with some of these other kids. Yeah. Like, if I tell, like, the one kid I work with, breathe. Like, he literally, and he's a little kid in second grade, he probably he wants to punch me. But if I do, hey, let's, you want to eat a cupcake? Let's do a cupcake. It's, that was a different, just, like, she had those skills. It did no good. The only thing traumatic in her life that she's not been able to deal with was this. So they tried to transfer her and they convinced us that they had treated other people like somebody in the past in the psychiatric, their psychiatric, so Linder Center of Hope, for somebody that had choked. And um, so it's like hers was more of a reaction like because she choked, she couldn't eat anymore. So mm -hmm. like it's similar. I'm like, I mean, we were desperate. Yeah. So they transferred her there. We were in the room where they were doing the admission. And like, I just, the whole time it did not feel well. Like they would not let her use a wheelchair like during, during the therapy there. She wasn't allowed to use the walker. It was gonna be a weapon. So they're gonna put her back in a wheelchair. And I just, everything was not right. They lied to us about a bunch of things. We got there and, and I was like, I can't, I'm like, I, I need to take her home. I'm like, this is not the right place for her. I'm, and they were telling us stuff that was lies. I'm like, what do I need to do? They made me sign an against medical advice. I called, well, first I'm like, I need to call my husband. I'm like, I need, and I'm sure they recorded us doing it because I couldn't bring my cell phone in. Like it was like a prison. They were gonna make her squat down. She could not squat down. I'm like, she can't squat down. What's she gonna bring? She came from the hospital. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we took her home and they sent her home with no feeding bags, no anything. My husband, luckily medical field, was able to get stuff so we could give her a feed that night. We got her a wheelchair, um, just everything that we needed. Did they, they called the next day and got us home supplies, but they sent us home with nothing. So then um, Bree had connected us with the NIH while she was in the hospital and eventually it, it, 
I get I like our doctors that were in the hospital refused to talk to the NIH, the person that was treating Brie, who was willing to talk to them and has admittedly said there are exact same this is happening with other we're studying other people with this exact same thing happening with them. They wouldn't talk to him. The neurologist, I, so I emailed, like I messaged her neurologist because he was on, they, you can't just call them, you have to message them through my chart, and he did end up talking to them. They recommended to do additional tests, one unfortunately, which was the MRI with contrast, which then set her back. So at that point, when you don't have neck control, you can't walk, you can't stand up. So at, for, since then, again, she has not been able to walk. Since the MRI, mm -hmm. and, and when was that? June. It was right before when we went. We didn't even think, like, first of all, with Bree, when she's like, was sent this, this, I forget what she was calling it, but I'm like, I'm like, I, my head, I'm like, I don't even understand what's happening, but I trusted her for, I don't even know why. Like, I didn't even, like, but she would talk to me every night and try to help me with my daughter, check on me every day to see how she was doing. So, we at one point were like, we thought she was going to be admitted again, and they ended up not. They're like, nope, functional neurologic disorder. If we admit her, she's going to get worse. So at one point, I was like, we're not going to be able to make it. They're going to admit her. And then they didn't. Like, literally, I'm messaging them in there. And so we went. Maddie wanted to go. I really went more because Maddie just, I think, needed to get away to Wisconsin, of all places. <laughs> um, so that's how we ended up there. I went there, didn't know what I was gonna say, didn't, I mean, I just showed up. No plan, zero, we drove. And that's when we spoke for the first time. And that was at the Ron Johnson yes. hearing. Um, so, Not wow. staged, no plan. Like, I literally sat down the night before and just wrote notes with talking through it with them. Your story is incredibly intense. I can't imagine, you know, we talked before we got on air here. Um, I have a 12-year-old daughter myself. I can't even imagine putting myself anywhere close mm -hmm. to your shoes. And the fighter that you are and the fighter that Maddie has, has, was, I think, before this and, and has become since this, um, it's, it's incredible. So the, quickly before we run out of time here, there's a couple of other key points that I think we need to discuss. One of them is, um, what happened with Pfizer? What did Pfizer do? So we and have we learned to document things I'm after sure, the beginning. I'm sure. We have an email string where we're like, what was reported to Pfizer? What was because I didn't like at, like until I met Bree, I just didn't even think about that stuff. I'm like, it, well, it was reported she was in a trial, and the, and they're like, no, you need to find out. So. Yeah. Um, they never gave us an answer. We still haven't gotten an answer of what her, her symptoms were reported. The only thing that showed up in the EUA was functional abdominal pain, which is basically a stomach ache we can't explain, and the um, the peristalsis. Part, yes, mm -hmm. yes. Those were the. If you look in the EUA, it's very clear which one was Maddie. So there's like. That's in the, the emergency reaction, use authorization yes, for the vaccine. Yes. So okay. there's there's her thing, and then there's the kid with the high fever, and then there are the two people that they took out of the trial underneath that that were all psychiatric. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they weren't able to put us. They tried, 
and I feel bad for these people that were able they were able to put them into that. That's what they tried to do to us. Yeah. Um, so we repeatedly asked what was what was recorded. So I ended up filing a VARES report because I wanted it documented. So I have a VARES report. Nobody has called me. Nobody's called me from Pfizer. No, nobody has contacted us, even talked to us, not even once. We just talked to the FDA a couple of weeks ago and it was not like it was through somebody else that got us a voice. Bree has talked to the FDA about Maddie mm-hmm. five billion times. Her husband talked about Maddie during the five to 11 year olds, uh-huh. the testimony. They know about Maddie. They know very well about Maddie. They have never talked to me. So during that one time that I told Maddie's story, I said, all I want to know is what was reported. They said, we will get back to you. We will let you know. And that's the last you've heard? No, and I refuse to ha- repeatedly. I should not have to repeatedly follow up because I know it's going to, I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to waste my energy. Like, why should I have to, re- they, they owe that. And they know what was reported and not reported. Like, they knew my email address. They know my phone number. So nothing has been done. Nothing has been done in terms of compensation. We just now with Cincinnati Children's because we fought. They kept trying. They were calling us about bills, like harassing us about bills for this. We just last month, it got cleared up after having to get a lawyer involved, basically saying they're not paying for this. This is everything that you have not done right. This is caused by you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then uh, where are you at? I'm going to ask you, and then I'm also going to ask about Maddie. Where are you at in terms of what you believe um, is the potential is for a recovery for Maddie? So I think Maddie's situation was made worse by the medicine they gave her, the delaying doing something and and, and acknowledging what was happening in her body. Um, I, I'm going to still say that I feel like she'll recover just because I feel like God wouldn't do this to her for nothing, never not be able to get better. But I just think it's going to take a long time. We've gone a different path, not I mean, we were at three different children's hospitals, and one was Cincinnati Children's, and another was in California, remote, and another one was a local one in Dayton. And they're all connected. They all can, like, they're not allowed to say anything. It's, like, useless. Like, they do nothing. They do nothing. But I found that they're not the ones that can do anything. It's it's more somebody, I kept saying with her, because they wanted me to take her to a different PT. I'm like, until you freaking fix whatever the root problem is, this is pointless. She's never gonna get better. And I that's what happened. Her root problem is it destroyed her gut because of the, the reaction that her body had. Yeah. Like, she has no good bacteria in her gut, zero. How is that possible? That is my kid. This is the kid that doesn't drink soda, always drank water, never. She's my only kid that eats vegetables. Like broccoli was like a snack to her. Like understand this kid was my healthy kid. Like I just, 
it did something to her. Something severe. Or maybe because they had her on an NG tube for, it's been a year. You're not supposed to have an NG tube for a year. How is she doing in terms of her emotions and dealing with this? Honestly, most days she's good. She's resilient. I, I don't even know. I don't. She knows how to, like I said, she connects. She, so she's, other people have connected with her kids that are like, have chronic illness, similar mm -hmm. things that are happening to them. Um, she talks, sadly, now you interviewed Donna, like I've connected with the parents and what we've done is asked our kids, do you want to, like we don't force them, it's do, sure. do you want to connect, connect? Like I have a video of Donna and her meeting for the first time, not here, but that was a couple weeks ago. It just, I mean, she knows how to cope. I don't know, I mean, she does have her nights where she's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm just like, I'm done. But then she's like, you know, I'm just venting. <laughs> I'm just venting. She's like, I'm not done. I could kill myself. <laughs> That's what she says. I mean, <laughs> but it's just her, like me. You, you have these moments where you just, you're strong and then you crash. And luckily, I mean, I feel like she's stronger than I am and I feel bad because I, like, we're together. <laughs> 24-7, we have two other boys. My husband and I, like, we're trying to, like, we can't both be with her, and a lot of, like, she can't take showers, she can't, so it's me. Like, he, yeah. he can't, it's not. Understood. But I'm missing my son getting his license, like, his permit, like, all these things we've missed. Because, I mean, but we are, we work, we work together. Well, I, like I said, I can't put myself in your shoes, um, and I, what, I, what I hope comes of this conversation, especially for those who are hearing of Maddie for the first time, is a desire to do something, to say something, to share this story, to get the word out, and help other people recognize that this is not an uncommon thing. Mm -mm. Um, you have people just like Maddie that are reaching Maddie. out to Maddie. Um, you know, other parents that are dealing with this as well, adults and children alike. Unfortunately, this I you know we're on, on our seventh or eighth interview for this podcast, and I've met with more young people than old people that are dealing with this kind of stuff, um, and it's it it's tragic. But what I really hope comes of this show is that we don't focus on the tragic nature of this, the horrifying picture mm -hmm. of what happens to a wonderful little girl mm -hmm. like Maddie, but that we focus on what we can do now to prevent this from happening to more and to get the word out and prevent people from blindly going into these emergency use authorized uh, vaccinations and and putting blind faith in an industry and a government that has proven quite clearly that they can't be trusted so um, what else would you like to get across to our listeners I guess the main thing that I this is what I try to do I mean I find this very hard to stop people if they're gonna get their kids vaccinated 
they're going to get their kids vaccinated. Right. It's very hard to stop people, and, and you wouldn't have been able to stop me because I, until you live it, you don't get it. But once you, it starts happening, the one thing that you can do that I was not able to do for Maddie because I didn't know is stop it from getting worse, to recognize what's happening, not to give them toxic drugs, ironically made by Pfizer to Gabapentin and Lyrica. Kids do, should not be on the, this, all of a sudden they have anxiety after this vaccine. It's not anxiety. Lexapro and antidepressants are not going to help them. They are going to put them in bad situations. Do not give them that. And know that you need to stop their bodies I mean, I don't know the answer, to be honest with you anymore. All I know is that you can do more harm by what, what's going to happen at a children's hospital is going to cause more harm. You know, and it's very hard to believe that the not that going to a functional and a lot of the functional medical doctors, if they need medicine as part of it, they'll use what makes sense. But it's like not their medicine is a is a. It's a Band-Aid, it's a mask, it does not fix the problem. Right. It just puts a Band-Aid on it. So I don't understand fully, I'm not a doctor, what's happening, but a lot of it is, it ends up being vitamins, and, and it ends up being in your, like, your gut can affect everything. And, and, and it doesn't matter if your kid was, like, was, like, the healthy one. You know, it's, it's, this is happening to healthy people. Yes. And like I said, yes. my daughter was the one that ate well. She exercised. She wasn't overweight. She did nothing. Like, she had ADHD, and so did my husband and I, and my other, I mean, all of us do. And she had what was diagnosed as dermatographia. I'm sure. Yeah. But I believe them. Oh, yeah. it's just, you know, your skin just magically gets hives when you scratch it. Okay. And they knew that about that in the trial. Well, Stephanie, I wish that we had met under better circumstances. Yeah. Um, I wish I didn't have to hear these stories. I wish I didn't have to have a podcast about these stories. But reality is what it is. People are living this nightmare. Yeah. And um, I, I know, I, it's very clear to me that you do not see, see yourself as the power that you are but you are a power yeah. for good and you being willing to sit here and cry through this horrifying story and tell it over and over again does bring power to this um this movement uh for freedom and for truth and the word getting out and i i greatly appreciate you uh for sitting here with me and for being in los angeles to fight against mandates of these types of medicines um, it is critical that people know these stories, and I, I, I hope that we can keep in touch and, and mm -hmm. continue to find out, uh, you know, how Maddie is progressing, and 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 do whatever we can here on the dearly discard, dearly discarded podcast. <laughs> I don't seem to be able to say that now. Um, to do to do the best we can for the the people who've been injured and their families. Um, we love and care about you, and, and we're here for you. Thank, thank you. you so much. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. We encourage you to help break through the silence and share this episode with your friends and family. It's time for these stories to not only be told, 
but to be heard. For more information, head to react19.org and dearlydiscardedpod.com. The Dearly Discarded Podcast is produced by Jared St. Clair and Michaela Hyde with support from React 19. We'll be back next week with another true story from one who lives it. Until then, join us on Team Humanity. Keep an open mind, seek the truth, and share these stories. Most of all, open your mouth. Silence won't change anything. React 19 needs your support. We're a grassroots nonprofit created by the COVID vaccine injured for the COVID vaccine injured. React 19 provides physical support through scientific research and physician referrals, financial support to those most in need for uncovered medical expenses, and emotional support by growing a community that's focused on compassionate advocacy, hope, fellowship, and improving lives. We can only do these things with your support. Your donation is tax deductible and any amount is greatly appreciated. You can also sign up for automatic monthly donations. The vaccine injured have been marginalized, censored, and discarded, but they have not been broken. Help them rise to the challenge today. Visit react19.org for more information or simply text the word REACT to 50155 and donate via text.